everyone, and welcome back. It's Richard Litauer. I hope you know that. And I'm here at Fossback Stage with Paul Bershik. And Paul Bershik is a little-known figure. He's come to a few of these things. But he's here this year and last year and a few more, I think, as the organizer. <laughs> so, Paul, it's great to have you. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on this, your podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> it's excellent. And what do you want to talk about? <laughs> I don't know. I am very, I'm open to everything. Really, the conference, it's, there's so much to see, so much, so many people to talk to. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, it's a conference. It's quite exhausting. And being the organizer is, yeah. You may have noticed that I've just been sitting here occasionally alone, <laughs> just, just doing nothing in the podcast room because talking to people all day takes too much. Yes. And I have four hours of podcasting and I've realized, you know what, if I don't talk to anyone else, if I don't go to a single talk, but I hold those <laughs> conversations well, it doesn't matter. It's fine. How many years have you been organizing Foss Backstage? Well, Foss Backstage, actually, I've I've been there right from the start. So, I mean, Isabel and Stefan yeah. yesterday evening, they, they retold in, in brief the story of how they came up with it and how they approached us and said, hey, do you want to to do this conference with yeah. us. We have this great idea of bringing people together, talk about open source, about the, the backstage bit. And I, I was there from right from the beginning, from I think in 2017, they approached us first. Cool. And it was, it, mine, it's, it's, it's interesting and to see how it, how it developed. It was the first conference that I really helped build up from the ground up. Yeah. And then remembering how we sat there and thinking, okay, what could be the title of this event? And having a long document and, and brainstorming ideas and all kinds of ridiculous names. Yeah, and all of that. And now seeing it, it working, finally being as as great as we'd imagine it. Cool. <laughs> That's really, really nice. Has it grown in numbers through the years? It has. So we had a very, it, it, it grew, the beginning was like a jump. We jumped up to a bit more than we have here, actually, because we co-located it with an Apache Roadshow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's hard to differentiate who came for what. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that that helped us. But then that made us it was a good event. But it made us like the again the community track of for the Apache Software Foundation. Yeah. Which was good. Which was a good start. But then we said, okay, let's let's broaden this. Let's not be only in that niche. And then we grew it and we started to grow it nicely. Then the pandemic happened. But then actually, I think I said this the last time we talked, that helped us. The, in a weird way, the pandemic helped us to, to refocus and to reach more people because all the online thing, it, suddenly it didn't matter. People didn't have to travel necessarily to, to be here. And I mean, good example, not least you are a good example. Last year, you were here, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did all the podcasts. I did them remotely, right? I was still at home. Yeah. I was less jet lagged, that's mm. for sure. But cool. How many people are here this year? It's 150 people roughly on site. It's amazing. And we have, I haven't checked the numbers yet, but it should be around 70 maybe online. Plainsports is your company, right? Is, yeah, more it's or less. Yeah. Conference organizing company. So you help run these things, but you're also invested in open source in general. You're interested in, in moving. You're not here just because it's a conference. You're here because you like the topic. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. Cool. We, early on this, we, we specialized in in open source, because it's a topic we we all love. It's a, a field we we love working in. For for many years, I'm actually starting in school. I was I was interested in, in interested in in the concept of of open source, and and I watched this and I used different kinds of of free software. Not only because yeah. it was like free, 
Yeah. But yeah, because I, I, I wanted to. And from that, yeah, I I've came up, I came to Berlin, I, I, I studied and then yeah, came into contact with events. And it so happened that I could really go into, into open source. And now, yeah, we are companies specializing in conferences for and with open source mm. communities. Cool. Amazing. How many conferences do you run a year? So I would say, so we have two main main ones that we do, which is FOSS Backstage and Berlin Buzzwords. Yeah. And then there are a few that we do with other people together. So there are some from focused on a search, then for some German companies doing doing work in the field. And But we're actually working on at least one, maybe two conferences. So ideally, we would have one each quarter yeah. to keep a good, yeah, to keep us busy, basically, around the year. Cool. What advice would you give to communities or even people interested in setting up conferences for open source? It's, I think the important bit is talk to people a lot and find out what, what people want to want to hear at, mm. at conferences, who they want to meet and, and try to connect them because the, I mean, the bit of the, the actual work we do is like, yes, book the venue and the recording and so on and so on and so on. There are a lot of details in that, but I don't think that's the important bit. The important bit is to, to talk to many people, to mm. maybe go to a meetup, find out what people in your area want to do, what is missing. And, and and find that out and yeah then you will find especially in open source you will find people who who really want to help you who who are interested and invested in the topic and i found all of the people we interact with really to be very nice and helpful and that is what what also made for Spectate in the end cool do you have any favorite talks do you have any favorite children it's so hard i've been running around <laughs> and i've not seen I've only a been to two, two talks, so I'm right there with you. <laughs> so it's okay if you don't have one. Um, no, I, I've, I think our, I, I will definitely rewatch our opening keynote. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, about about the city of Munich because that's a, I think it's an interesting topic. What was her name again? Uh, Laura, Laura Donheim. Yeah. And yeah, I think that is interesting how they, with all, especially Munich, with their past of the kind of failed Linux project that they had. Yeah. How they, yeah, reapproach it now to to yeah bring the administration to to open source to use it and to contribute back and so on and i think yeah they have they have some good good ideas not least the sabbatical open source sabbatical idea that they are but yeah that is that is something i will definitely watch back i only had like half a year i've yeah. been in the same room but i was busy so that's definitely one Again, our keynote today by Claire, I think, was very good on, on our lizard brains. Yep. So that is one to watch back. But no, there's there's so much. I'm I'm I have to rewatch everything. <laughs> so as someone who's trying to keep an ear to this space to grow open source, what have you noticed over the past five years that's changed in how you think about the FOSS backstage lineup? Hmm. It, I think our first edition. It was people who were there were they I think most of them called themselves community managers in in some way. Yeah. And were more I think more techy maybe than the ones that are that are may that may be here now. I think the whole Ospo topic yeah. came in, in the past couple of years and really grew and and together with things like inner source and so on. I think for the first 
for Backstage, we had Denise Cooper as a keynote. Yeah. And she spoke about inner source and things like that. And she also co-founded us for Plus Plus with Claire Dillon, Jacob Green, me and Saeed Chowdhury. So. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, and that that actually has changed. So I remember from the beginning on, we tried to say, okay, because this is a topic we thought, okay, it's nice to have the people here who already do yeah, open source, yeah. but let's get the people who who want to and maybe don't know how, what does it mean to use open source in our company, in our organization? How can we, how can we get better and things? And so we, we talk to all kinds of people, especially from like, also from, from big German companies, like automotive companies and so on and so on. And for the past, uh, for the, for the first two years of doing this, the responses mostly were, yeah, we're doing something here. Yeah, but now you have people like Wolfgang, who's just. And now we have yeah. Wolfgang, who yeah. yes, for example, yeah. who really at, at who at Mercedes has yeah. like an, an Ospo, and he he made that happen. But for the I think for the first two years, the responses were all like, oh well, yeah, there is something that we do, but we can't talk about. We're not allowed to talk about. We're not yeah, sure yeah. if we want to talk about. Um, and now they are here and they talk about it. <laughs> so what's coming next? Good question. I oh think God. the I think a big topic will be like cities, public administration. Abilities, yeah. 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 That is something that is a big you see this now popping up all over even the news. Yeah. <laughs> we had Jan, a Germany, everyone. Jan earlier who Jan is working on public mm. foundation for public code. So he works with municipalities. Claire Dillon's worked with, with municipalities. I coordinated the session with her last year at the city of Paris for Lutes. Yeah. Munich obviously here. So it it does seem to be a thing. I'm surprised we don't have a really catchy acronym for like civic OSPOs <laughs> yet, you know, COSPOs or MOSPOs or something. Yeah, but we, we will need one because I think that's, that's I think, an area of, of growth, if you like. Yeah, not just cities too, but states. States and Bundes and whatever. Yeah, call Bundesländer, it. whatever you yeah. have, yeah. Cool. Interesting. I ran out, Paul. I ran <laughs> out. It happens. I'm very jet lagged. I'm really grateful that you are here. When you aren't organizing, do you ever write up your thoughts on the state of open source? Do you have a blog that you talk about these things? And no, not really, actually. Because you're you're basically like you're a face, but you're voiceless here. You don't you don't <laughs> give a huge talk, right? That's true. That's true. I'm yeah. I think I'm, I'm most of the time we are more in the in the background, yeah. really. Yeah, unless we force ourselves forward by saying, "Well, actually, I did this one." <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really happen. So, how do you feel about that? Do you think that you're well suited for that role? Mm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm personally, I, I, there's some kind of, of personal development that I can watch in, in my person, because I think, let's say five, six years ago, yeah. I definitely wouldn't have gone up on a stage and say, hello, yeah. welcome to our conference. I would, you know, I, I did, I did not like doing that. And now it's, it's fine. I, I can do it. And I, I would definitely have said, in a very kind and friendly way. No, I'm I'm not coming on your podcast. I'm very busy. <laughs> I'm, but now I'm like, okay, yeah, well, why not? It doesn't come too easy. I don't have my own podcast. I don't, I'm not, yeah, I'm not a, a I don't love the stage, let's say, but I can, I can deal with it. And I see that I'm, and I, yeah, I, I like this growth. <laughs> so when we talk about community managers, when we talk about OSPO heads, they don't do the work. You know, the developers do the work. <laughs> They're also in the background or ought to be in some ways. Maybe not here. This is a this is a community of peers, right? So this is a community yeah. of practice. We're all working on it together. But 
a lot of the role of being someone who is a policymaker or being someone who is a manager or facilitator is to sort of move yourself back and let other people shine. Yeah. You just said that you've been able to level up to the point where you can do that more effectively. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips for people who are interested in joining this space for how to effectively get over stage fright and start letting other people lead the way? It is, I think what, I'm trying to think what helped me. And I think it's just, it's weird, but it's, it's, I think a lot of it is just imposter syndrome, you. Because a lot of the time I thought, yeah, well, I, I do those event things. And I, yes, I talk to all those people and I listen to those talks and, and I read things about it. And so, but I'm not an expert. By no means am I an expert in anything. I'm yeah. a generalist and so on, which is true in, in parts, of course. But then again, many people are and they still go up on a stage and, and have a voice and should have a voice, I guess. So it's, it's, it's hard, but getting over this imposter syndrome and just sometimes just doing it. Yeah. And as I said, in the open source space, especially, I found people to be very generous. And even if my first appearances on the stage were not great, <laughs> yeah. not perfect, people still w were kind to me. And I think that is getting a positive feedback from that. So don't um, just be kind to yourself, be kind to others. Yes. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Always, always a good thing. I think what a lot of the, what fuels imposter syndrome in these spaces is kind of the hedgehog and fox syndrome, right? So foxes know some one thing really well, but not a whole lot about everything else. Whereas hedgehogs know a lot of things. Yeah, okay, but not one thing really well. And I feel like working in open source, I'm often like, oh, I'm not the world's best P2P developer. But then again, by knowing a lot about different things, I'm able to, to facilitate those conversations yeah. easier. And so you always have imposter syndrome in open source, especially if you're a facilitator, <laughs> which is just really tough. Does that resonate with you? Definitely. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. I'm always looking for new metaphors to try to figure out how to understand <laughs> the difficulties that we have and how to overcome them. But Listeners, if you have any thoughts on Foss Backstage, you can send them to Paul. Where can they send them? And there are many ways to reach me. One of the easier ones is paul at foss-backstage.de. Cool. And yeah, I'm always happy to hear from you. Also on in the Fediverse on, yep. on Mastodon, you can find me. I think there will be a link somewhere. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll put a link in. we got to add a Mastodon field. Paul Beschick, thank you so much for coming on. This has been great. Yeah. Wish you the best of luck for the next 30 years. Thank you. Backstage. <laughs> thank oh. you very much. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Sustain at Foss Backstage. So I'm here in Berlin today. Very excited to get on to the afternoon of the second day here. And I have my first guest of the afternoon. So if I fall asleep from eating too much, well, I'm sorry. It was very good food. Thank you, Paterja, for being the food sponsor today. So I'm joined right now by Oleg Nenashev. Oleg has been on the podcast before. You may not recognize him from the Sustain podcast. He was on the Sustain Open Source Design podcast, which, as you may remember, we also have. We have like 30, 40 episodes. Yesterday, we had Pablo Ruiz Musquiz. I know I did not pronounce that correctly. I'm sorry, Pablo who is one of the co-founders, along with other 13 people, for PenPot. So if you want to check out those sorts of podcasts, go to sosdpodcast.sustainoss.org or sustainoss.org and then just follow the links. But anyway, we have Oleg on around a year and a half ago, and he is very influential in the community. So first off, he's a TOC chair and community ambassador for the Continuous Delivery Foundation. He's also a core maintainer and board member of Jenkins. Probably why he's here in Berlin. Jenkins is in Berlin, right? 
Uh, Jenkins is everywhere. It's everywhere. <laughs> but I know there's an office here. Also works out with Google Silver Code. Also volunteers at the Free and Open Source Silicon Foundation and has a PhD to boot. So Oleg, how are you doing today? Yeah, thanks a lot for inviting me. I'm quite happy to be here. It has been, it's uh, one of my first conferences after a long, long break of, uh, from public speaking. And actually, uh, I enjoy uh, this conference. Everything is about open source, various like, challenges, uh, not something we usually talk about at big conferences. Uh, and of course, uh, sustainability of open source is uh, the key topic there. So for me, it's super exciting. Super excited to have you. I love this sort of conference too. And I love having these chats. I actually haven't really been to any of the talks. I went to two of them because I get my own little conference over here where I get to talk to people about their talks and then ask all the questions I want, which is the way I like it. Oh, like you're giving a talk later this afternoon, correct? Uh, no, actually I gave it in the morning. Like, you, like I said, I missed all the talks. And what was it on? It was about open roadmaps for your open communities. Tell so me what that means. Yeah, so uh, there can be different meanings. Initially, this talk could be considered as why it's nice to have open roadmaps and how they could help your community to grow. Yep. But uh, today, I actually was actually giving this talk from a different perspective. So after we introduced the public roadmap in Jenkins three years ago, what changed and how it actually worked. Hmm. And for me, it's a nice presentation because in Jenkins it actually didn't work. So it's a kind of interesting uh, retrospective about what we could have done uh, better and uh, also what we could improve with the new tools like GitHub projects and actions and all the ecosystem. And yeah, it's nice to take a look of what happened three years ago, how they first started when I was pushing it as a champion. Yep. Then I had a burnout, disappeared from the community. Then I took sabbatical because of the war. And yeah. you see how the, basically a really nice initiative doesn't work well. Mm. First of all, the community is doing well in Jenkins. It keeps evolving, but the public roadmap effort definitely hit a bunch of obstacles. So now I had an opportunity to just discuss why it didn't work, what could have been done better, and how we could have ensured sustainability of all this process on the top of our community that is still quite vibrant. So you've just told me a lot of, like, the timeline of it. Yeah. Tell me how you initially set about having the public discussion. Okay. So Jenkins itself is a very old project. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's 18, uh, 19 uh, years by now. Yep. So actually next year we will be celebrating 20 years of Jenkins. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, it was open sourced a bit uh, later. Yep. And as you can imagine, for a project of that age, there is a lot of things that happened in the project. But yeah. Jenkins has always been a kind of community-driven. It was driven uh, sometimes by a small group of people, sometimes by a larger group of people, but largely it was vendor-independent. Okay. And for us, uh, it has always been a kind of key principle that everyone can participate, that everyone is welcome to participate. And basically the project has followed the principle of meritocracy. So if you contribute more, you have more influence. And at the same time, if you become a maintainer of a component, and Jenkins has more than 2,500 components by now. It includes Jenkins Core, plugins, various libraries, developer tools. Yeah. 
And in each component, here is a maintainer kind of Warlord uh, who defines basically <laughs> everything on their own. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes up to the culture level. So yeah. we have a kind of condo, common condo. Sorry, we have a code of conduct. We have a lot of community guidelines and boarding yeah. uh, processes. But in each components, everyone is independent. Yeah, it has been kind of chaotic at scale, but at the same time, it was working pretty well. Yeah. Okay. The problem is that we got into many issues with transparency of the project. So it wasn't clear where the project is going mm. because in practice it was going in many directions at the same time, depending on the contributor interests. For those who, who don't know, Jenkins, by yeah. the way, is a continuous integration type thing, right? Not really. It's automation server. Automation. Uh, so you can use Jenkins for continuous integration and continuous delivery. Got it. And it got uh, a lot of popularity as continuous integration tool. It still uh, dominates on the market. Uh, maybe uh, around 60% of CI/CD in the world is done with Jenkins, even now. Uh, a lot of that using GitHub's workflows, where it just automatically takes every PR and does it right, but also in proprietary systems or production systems? Yeah, uh, well, you can use Jenkins basically everywhere. Again, it's an automation project, and this is why I started working with Jenkins, because cool. I came from hardware space. Got it, okay. Uh, yeah. So for me, I didn't need uh, Jenkins to build my software during yeah. my first three years with Hudson, actually. Yeah. So it was a completely different story. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to Jenkins as a project. So yeah. yeah, transparency was really low. The project was evolving in all directions at once and basically going nowhere at the same time from the perception of many people. <laughs> uh, sometimes uh, there were concerns about vendor lock-in, which are also valid. Yep. It was difficult to coordinate the efforts and rally the community behind particular initiatives. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, it may sound odd, but uh, there were many potential contributors who were looking for something to do, but we were unable to find the things yeah, yeah. where they could uh, contribute. So to address these issues, at some point we decided that we should actually start consolidating the community. We introduced various uh, working groups, uh, special interest groups. Uh, we introduced formal enhancement process, largely based on the Python uh, process, Python enhancement proposal. And cool. af afterwards, the next step for us was public roadmap. Got it. Because yeah, we thought, and actually it's a case, that if you have public roadmap, then all stakeholders can see where the project is going. Yeah. It could be not just uh, Jenkins or any other project users. For them, it's actually quite beneficial to understand what's coming up next. But also it's various adopters and vendors who built their solutions on the top of your project. Yeah. And last but not least, contributors who can also see where the project wants to evolve. Yeah. So at some point, it was beginning of 2020, I proposed that we actually build a public roadmap for Jenkins. Great. Sounds good in theory. Yeah. Well, in practice, it's also good. Okay, cool. It's <laughs> easy to build something, but uh, it's more difficult to sustain something, as we know. <laughs> well, all your podcast is about <laughs> it and the roadmaps are not no exception. Cool. And the roadmaps are basically worse than documentation because nobody uh, likes to write documentation. Yep. And nobody likes to write structured documentation like specifications or roadmaps. Yeah, yeah. So it's even more difficult. So what happened in Jenkins? We introduced uh, this roadmap. We 
rolled it out. We got uh, special interest groups, working groups, subprojects to contribute items. The wigs and cigs, uh, good. Yeah, we also invested quite a lot in tooling. So yeah. at that point, there was no GitHub projects. Yeah. Well, it was still kind of alpha, not accessible to everyone. Yeah. And it was uh, still yet to become as feature-rich as it is now. So in our case, we created our own roadmap engine, basically as a part of our website, cool. which is driven by a big YAML file called Roadmap YAML. So the theory was that everyone can submit a pull request there. And after that, once this pull request is merged, it goes through our CD process and magically appears on our roadmap. In a fancy way, we had an engine for visualization, for categorization, grouping of items. But in theory, this is for the 2,500 different warlords of all of each component. Well, we have never expected all initiatives to be on the road. Okay, yeah. We expected key initiatives to be there. Yeah. And for smaller ones, you just have documentation. Yeah. You have it there. Okay. So now I would advertise a different approach, basically hierarchical roadmap. So you have top-level project roadmap, then you have working group roadmap, various component roadmap. And, like uh, an OKR system or something. Yeah, why not? Yeah, okay. Well, I hate uh, the OKR term in this context because <laughs> I have strong belief that in community, the roadmap should not include commitment on dates hmm. or in fact on delivery at all. So in yep. Jenkins, since all the project is contributor driven, yep. for us, it was a table stake to say that we don't commit on any item. Okay. We present these items, but they happen if there are contributions. And if you're interested in uh, having them happen, you're better to open the link, which describes how to participate in this item. Excellent. Yeah. And actually it worked in many cases in terms of features. Cool. So we were able to deliver many features through basically advertising the things in the community by writing and uh, documentation, contributing documentation by creating a bunch of issues where people could contribute. Sure. So there are a few good examples, for example, dark theme for Jenkins, onboarding materials, uh, also integrations with Kubernetes. All of them happened through this approach. And from this standpoint, the roadmap was quite efficient. It uh, allowed us to attract contributions. End of episode. Cool. No, uh, no then, it's then what happened? <laughs> then uh, things happened. So first of all, uh, Roadmap to some extent was a single person effort. I mean, it was my effort. Uh, I built it. Yeah, we maintained it for a long time. We made uh, updating the Roadmap a part of our governance meeting, yep. even though it's not, wasn't really supposed to be like that. Yeah. We expected the individual contributors, special interest groups, etc., to contribute items on a regular basis. Yeah. And specifically to update the statuses of items on a regular basis. And basically it was a big mistake because it didn't happen from very beginning. Hmm. And later in the end of 2020, when I had a burnout, then I disappeared from the community from quite some time. Even now I'm, let's say, rather on sabbatical. Yeah. So basically this process uh, experienced a lot of uh, drawbacks. So basically the roadmap is still there, but yeah. the roadmap is basically severely out outdated. Like and it documentation. Be well, the like documentation normally is. <laughs> yeah. 
for documentation, actually, we adopted documentation as code. Cool. So for us, one of our solutions to outdated documentation was to put most of the documentation right inside the repositories. Yeah, that makes sense. Then uh, yeah. apply magic to rebuild documentation sites, plugin sites, marketplaces from just repositories. Yep. With the assumption that everyone who submits a pull request to introduce some feature also bothers to write documentation and tutorial. We created that, we set checklists. Obviously, it doesn't happen in 100% cases. Yep. But I would say that with regards to quality of Jenkins documentation, uh, it improved significantly over, let's say, the past decade yeah. since I was actively using Jenkins and not contributing to it. Okay, <laughs> cool. Good. I'm glad that's not totally out of date then. And I'm glad that you've been spearheading that effort. Yeah. Going back to the PM, uh, mm-hmm. the roadmap option. You mentioned that, you know, you burnt out and then went on sabbatical, which yeah. I think is a totally legitimate thing to do. It's a lot of effort and that just happens. Humans have to, you know, sometimes well, just scale down. In my case, I would say that my burnout wasn't related to open so- to the open yeah. source part. Okay. Yeah, there were other reasons, but yeah. my ability to participate in open source was a collateral damage. That makes sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. So given your experience in this process... Mm-hmm. What would you suggest people do to make their roadmaps for their open source projects more sustainable and less fragile or possible mm-hmm. to be broken up by having uh, dependence upon one person? How do you make it? Yeah, so first of all, uh, it's important to make the process as simple as possible mm. and to basically make it close to developers. Yeah. What it means in practice, if you use modern issue trackers, let's say GitHub issues, Jira, GitLab, you can make a roadmap just a part of your issue tracker. Yep. So basically having specific item types or just epics uh, or use GitHub Hub projects uh, to basically visualize the roadmap in a kind of Kanbanish set of columns. Yeah. Like it happens more and more these days. Yeah. And it provides advantages because your contributors don't have to develop new content. Mm. They just just uh, need to maintain the existing content well. So, for example, when you create an epic in Jira or GitHub issue, mm. you clearly document what you want to achieve, sometimes provide link, provide contributing guidance. Yeah. And if it happens, for example, in GitHub, you ha- can have an issue template for roadmap item or so then uh, basically you've got your roadmap and then you just drag it through the statuses and it automatically appears on the dashboard and you can just do scrap, let's say once a month to ensure that it's more or less up to date. If I was curious about Mm -hmm. finding out how to better understand these words you're using, Epic, Mm -hmm. Kanban, Agile, all the basic like product management things that you have to do as a PM, Mm -hmm. which open source developers aren't intrinsically educated about, given that most open source developers are much more interested in testing. Where would you recommend people go to learn these things? Oh, well, actually, uh, there are many sources. In my case, I tend to recommend Inner Source Commons as one of the entry points because it tries to describe common collaboration process and common tooling. And actually, there is a lot of Inner Source patterns for common cases. That's funny because inner source is meant to take from open source. You're saying open source should go to inner source, learn how to do open source better. I would say it doesn't matter too much because cool. for me, inner source is adoption of open source culture yeah. for any kind of development. 
Cool. Okay. Uh, so if you want to break down silos in your company, if you want to introduce DevOps culture, yep. you naturally adopt a lot of open source practices in your company. Yeah. Whether you call it inner source or not, it doesn't matter too much. Hmm. And yeah, what I'm trying to say that it could be a good source of information on basics. Uh, there is also a lot of uh, books uh, describing common development processes, etc. And actually, there is not that much terminology. Okay. So for newcomer developers, yeah, you can uh, read a few books uh, and then just hop on the train of open source. Most of the projects use more or less the same approach. Choo-choo, let's go. Shout yeah, out to and if you're happy to not know what is epic in Jira, yeah. uh, you're rather the lucky one. But, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, but otherwise, most likely you will know. Cool. All right. So you mentioned that mm-hmm. you're still kind of on sabbatical. Jenkins is obviously still around. Do you have any plans for the future for how to fix the problem of an outmoded roadmap? Oh, well, for Jenkins roadmap, yes, I do have plans. Actually, what I was presenting today with modern tooling, I definitely recommend going with GitHub projects if you're on GitHub. Yeah. I actually implemented the roadmap in a few other projects. And for example, the Continuous Delivery Foundation TOC, I'm a member of. It also has a public roadmap uh, implemented by uh, with help of GitHub projects. And I believe that this approach can be much more efficient and it can actually work. It still requires uh, some commitment and some practices from the community side, but uh, I believe that it could be implemented. What I plan to do personally, yeah, I plan to improve things in Jenkins and to recover them. But I am not sure that Jenkins will be my first priority in the coming months or years. Because first of all, I heavily shifted my volunteering to non-open source. Well, some some bits are open intelligence, but generally I shifted my focus to volunteering, anti-war efforts. I'm yeah. a Russian citizen. I do have strong opinions about the situation. Yeah. And That's yeah, great. definitely share a lot of responsibility yeah. uh, to some extent. And, uh, yeah, uh, so this became my main focus. In addition, uh, yeah, I will be still doing a paid job, which will be definitely about open source. I already know what I would be doing. So see you soon in open source. Yep. But yeah, I plan to keep spending some time in uh, communities. I already said today on Twitter that I want to spend more time in the tag contributor strategy of the CNCF. Cool. And uh, yeah, definitely sharing some experiences and helping other projects to actually build their roadmaps, to maintain them and to build communities in general is within my scope of interest. Love that. I know Open Collective has an option where you can send money from your collective to support mm-hmm. Ukrainians who need help. Um, we've mm-hmm. donated a lot of money that way. I'm curious for you, do you have any suggestions for ways that open source projects can actively help with the anti-war effort? Well, actually, uh, there are many aggregators that cool. uh, even uh, communities and organizations that help to steer open source efforts cool. uh, with regards to even open source software efforts to those who want to help. I can share some links later because I didn't come with them, but uh, okay. on GitHub, that. you can uh, find a lot. And case, we can put them on the show links as well, so I'll make yeah. sure to have them up on online. Uh, yeah, so uh, as everywhere, there is a lot of projects uh, that need help. And yeah. if you're not a software developer, there are also a lot of other areas you can help with, like open data, open intelligence, 
well uh, open maps etc yeah. all of that actually can help a lot and well if you're interested also there is a lot of volunteer communities in every city helping refugees yeah. helping logistics yeah. humanitarian aid so yeah, if you want to participate there are plenty of opportunities including once in berlin so cool. that's amazing yeah. okay great i asked because I'm not a Russian citizen, so I don't have the same level of responsibility, but I'm an American citizen, which gives me a whole different level of responsibilities. So we're together yeah. on that one. Um, but thank Definitely. you so much for coming on. This is absolutely excellent. I really hope that your talk went well. And I hope mm-hmm. that people are able to listen to this and think more about how to more effectively product manage and program manage their open source projects. We had a really good podcast I want to direct people to that was relevant to this with Tracy Hines, who talked mm-hmm. a lot about how having a PM is necessary for open source projects. And it's not something that open source projects think about a lot. Yeah, PM is an interesting thing because it can be a project manager, a program manager, (laughs) and product manager. It's way too many, all the things, but you know, that's okay. That's what, uh, sometimes you wear different hats. Or like, where can people find you online? On Twitter, assuming that it still uh, works, you never know. Also LinkedIn, uh, GitHub, I have a Linktree account with all links. If you like photography, I can share a lot of photos and oh, cool. from Switzerland too. That's great. But yeah, my Instagram account is definitely not open source at all. Mine's entirely birds. Uh, so I'm right there with you. Well, um, my is rather landscape photos, but nice. there are some birds too. Excellent. Okay, we're gonna have to check that out. What's your okay. what's your handle? Aski dwarf. Aski the wolf. Dwarf. Dwarf. I like Dwarf Fortress, so this is how I ended up with this count ID. Excellent. Excellent. Oleg, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you on. Yeah, thank you too, and thanks for inviting me.